watching the Sports Objective, the podcast for Pirates. You're listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on the Sports Objective. Join Coach C, the USA Strength and Conditioning Hall of Famer, every Monday night to see in a variety of guests, including former players, former and current coaches, pastors, and others will discuss relevant issues in coaching today's athlete with the goal of equipping the athlete and those coaching them with the physical, mental, and spiritual armor necessary to live their best life. Here's Coach Connors. Uh, welcome to Absolute Empowerment. Uh, tonight we have nine-year NFL veteran, Pro Bowl selection, and former ECU Pirate from 1995 to 1999, Rod Coleman. Rod, great to have you in the house. Great to be here, Coach. Great to be on with you. All right. So, Rod, the purpose of the podcast, I'm going to review here, is to recognize highly accomplished people, provide them an opportunity to tell their story. I really want you to tell your story tonight. And, uh, you know, the high points and challenges that propelled them down the road to excellence. And uh, anytime we can talk about faith and spiritual strength in that journey, we want to definitely mention that because that's part of the purpose of the podcast, as well as to, uh, you know, want to bring a few people to Christ uh, in our in our uh, mission here. So, uh Rod, before you came to ECU, um, I know that you were a young man growing up in Philly, and uh, I really want to kind of get into that in relationship to, you know, the, the challenges that you face, the people in your life that you trusted, the people in life in your life that influenced you and mentored you. Uh, basically, you know, how you developed the character traits that eventually got you to East Carolina University playing football. Uh, but uh, give me a little insight there in relationship to a, a very young Rod Coleman and uh, what life was like in Philly. Oh, man, life was rough, man. But, I mean, it was fun, but um, it was challenging. Growing up, just you know it's city of brotherly love but it was just about survival man you know uh i grew up my grandparents coming from mississippi as a little kid you know my parents said i chose to live with my grandparents when i was four so i grew up with with my grandparents and it was good but also learned how to fight early (laughs) you know when i was a little kid my nickname was stick because I almost got jumped by two kids my first week up there in Philly. And it uh, turns out they was my cousins. So, <laughs> so that's how I met my cousins, <laughs> you know, about to fight them and beat them with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, that was the beginning of just family bonding. But after that, we was, we was fine. Uh, just had a lot of friends, you know, just yeah. playing sports and, running around, getting in the things that young kids do, you know, just right. getting in trouble, but having fun. And uh, one thing we all used to do because of the movie Rocky is fight. You yeah. know, we fought each other just for fun, you know, so it was exactly. just all a competition. We competed in everything. So right. that's where the competitive nature came from, just growing up in Philly with my family, my family, my friends, and everyone. So we competed in racing, half ball, that's like uh, you cut a tennis ball in half and uh, hit it with a stick. We call it half ball. So we competed in that. Uh, yeah, man. Because we, we didn't have a lot of tennis balls, so we didn't want to lose them. So we cut the ball in half. So, you know, we lose one, we got another half. So we were just creative. I mean, but, uh, you know, basketball, you know, we was out there in the snow playing basketball in Timberlands and jeans and coats. You know, so right. always had opportunity or found opportunity to play sports. And so growing up in Philly, that's what it was. It was about competing with your friends and just always enjoying sports, no matter what it was. I, I played tennis growing up because it was a competitive sport. Yeah. You know, we did any and everything that uh, came with competing. So that was part of growing up in Philadelphia, man. Just that's where my competitive nature came from. Just around my family. 
Well, it, uh, sports must have kept you on a pretty good road then. Uh, uh, tell me a little bit about your high school experience. Uh, high school, man. Uh, Simon Gretz in North Philly. It was labeled like one of the worst schools in the country. It was like I tell people that movie, Joe Clark, Lean on Me. That was my high school. We was the first high school in the country to have metal detectors. So we had a police station down the street, but we always yeah. had fights at school. And, you know, we knew every other Friday we was going to have uh, security checks because it was just wild in school. I mean, it was like the streets just survival. Guys just came to school just to hang out or to fight. And girls as well. So everyone just had to survive. But um, I was fine with my teachers. Like, yeah. even though I grew up in a rough world, I always wanted to learn. I, always, I was always into education. And so I always try to get to school sometimes early, stay late. And I always wanted to learn. And I always wanted to know. And my teachers used to think it was weird because I'm a what ninth, 10th grade student uh, in school reading the newspaper. I, I used to go around to the teachers and want to get the newspaper because you know, if my grandfather didn't have the newspaper, then I'm going to go to school and go to the teacher's lounge or something just to get a newspaper to read. So I'm all, I always wanted to learn. And my high school was um, willing to help me, even though, you know, we had teachers that just overlooked you because it was like, uh, you go to this school in the city, just hope you just survive, not graduate. So our graduation rate was horrible. But, um, the ones who graduated, they went on to do good things. And but uh Simon Grass it was fun, but it was also part about part of surviving. I mean, right. one thing I did start, I did start a school brawl one time. <laughs> so whole school brawl. <laughs> but yeah, it was fun. But we was kids. It started from a food fight to all out <laughs> just every police came <laughs> type brawl. But uh, high school was fun. You know, it, it was fun. It taught me, you know, about friendships, taught me about commitment, taught me that if you're willing to pursue a goal or a dream, there's there always someone around to help you. You know, if you're willing to do your part and passionate about doing something, you can always find someone to help you. And that was that was Simon Gratz. Now, uh, did you have a... Uh a principal that was highly respected there? Well, our principals probably only last like one year. So we went yeah. through different principals, but my teachers, uh, Mr. David Smeagle, he was assistant basketball coach and um, he helped me out a whole lot. So Mr. Smeagle, uh, uh, Professor uh, Arnold, he, uh, he helped me with my SATs. Mr. Smeagle helped me get to East Carolina, him and his son, Dave Smeagle. Um, so I gravitated to a few teachers, you know, I remember this old teacher we had, this old white lady, everybody, you know, <laughs> oh, she was mean. I was like, she cool. But this one time I tried to leave class. She was like, no, you're not leaving. I mean, I was big and I'm like, what you mean? I'm not leaving class. She locked the door. I'm looking at her like, she was like, you stand in front of the door. I was like, okay. I was like, I respect that. Then after that, you know, I stayed out of class, helped the before class, and I talked to her, you know, about math and just stuff, but things of that nature. When I seen, like, she was like, no, she wanted to make sure I stay in class and learn. And I, I liked it, and I went on to learn more from her. So, right. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, who, who recruited you to East Carolina? Uh, it was... Um, not Shank. Um, oh man, special team coach that was there in '95. Uh, Black Black um, Blackwell. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Blackwell. Yeah, I think he was uh, a, a, an assistant of some sort, like a student assistant or something, probably. Something. So I, like I don't know if that's I don't know if that's who you're talking about or not, but. Uh, uh, I can't remember, man. Um. Oh. But yeah, no, no. Blackwell was assistant uh, with a position assistant, not a position. Yeah, he, he was with D line with uh, yeah for a while. Yeah. Oh, what's the coach name? But he was um, he was more like a uh, like special team coach or something. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, but um, uh, y'all found me out of nowhere. Like I said, um, Dave Smeagle, he sent tape down there because um, I couldn't pass my SATs because, like, my grades, I had, you know, honor roll, all that. School was right. no but the SAT stuff, never studied yeah. before. Like, our school didn't offer SAT study, so we didn't have nowhere to study. Right. And so the first time, I just went and took the test. I think that's when you need a 700. I got a, I got a 690. I'm like, man, I failed this. So I was like, and that's just going in and taking the test. So that's when I started talking to Mr. Right. Erno about studying for the SAT. And so he started telling right. me, well, it's things in there that you're not familiar with, you know, for us riding across the Midwest, all the trains and stuff, all the crazy questions they ask you. So he started, right. he found OSATs and he started reviewing stuff with me. So he didn't want to help me pass my SAT. But the first time okay. I failed, uh, all the big schools backed off me. Second time I failed, I mean, it was just rough, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And and um, so the third time I was like, um, Logan was going to send me to JUCO in Kansas. So I'm uh -huh. in that. He's like, man, I'm going to JUCO, so it don't matter. And I wound up passing. <laughs> okay. And then all other schools started coming back, like, okay, you passed your SATs. We want you. I was like, no, East Carolina stuck it out with me. So yeah. they was committed to me. I'm going to be committed to them. And so that's how I wound up at East Carolina. <laughs> well, I know everybody was very happy you ended up at East Carolina. Ain't no doubt about that. Uh, yeah. It was a great experience. Uh, Greenville was a great experience. It was totally opposite of, you know, North Philly. And so I was looking for a different environment, different experience. That's why I wanted to go to college. And yeah. Greenville, it was a great experience because I couldn't sleep probably the first week I was there. It was too quiet. No dogs, no sirens, no fights, no shooting. So all I heard was crickets at night. And so sitting, I'm like, man, what's going on? It's just too quiet here. And so it was just hard to sleep. But now... Since I'm, I'm older, I embrace peace and quiet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Greenville's grown since then, so, you know, I don't know. You probably hear more than crickets if you live downtown somewhere, but uh, <laughs> it amazes me how much this town has grown. Oh, yeah. Um, I wanted to go back, and uh, I did really the same thing with Terrell Williams. You know, he, of course, grew up in South Central L.A., and, and his grandma raised him, and, and uh, and I know your grandmother just recently passed. And uh, so I, can you uh, talk about your grandmother uh, a little bit for us? Uh, my grandmother, she was the rock. Emma Brown, she was, uh, she was a strong woman, you know, dedicated, committed to her family. Like she, but my grandmother had a speakeasy. She sold bootleg liquor. Okay. <laughs> so she was a hustler. So she sold bootleg liquor. So, uh, dinners like plates and food on the weekends so we used to have fun you know having people around and things of that nature so i got my hustling skills from her she was like you know opportunity comes in many forms i started selling candy in middle school because my grandmother was like you need to figure out figure out something so i started getting candy and selling in school for more and so that, that was my first job and so but uh yeah she was a great woman um like I said, she was she raised she raised me, my uncles, my aunts, uh, my cousins, all in two but two bedroom house. It was about eight of us in a two bedroom house. But yeah. um but, but we had a great time. I learned learned a lot from her, you know, and uh she she was the type of person she's gonna tell you, okay, if you do this, this might happen. If you do this, but she was like, I'm gonna let life teach you. Either you're gonna learn my way. Or the hard way. It was like life don't life is not um soft on you. It's gonna come hit you hard. And she was like she was trying to shield us from that. And so, but you know, Ben being a little boy, I'm like, you my grandmother, you just you just talking. So I was in a little trouble growing up, you know, you know, just just being with her. But I remember she always every Sunday wake up with gospel music, always praying and from when I was a little kid, she always used to just say pray about it. 
you know, little kid, you didn't want to hear a prayer about it. I want to answer now, you know, but right. as I kept getting older and older, I started doing more praying about things because I always reflect on the lessons she taught me. So uh, from just like middle school, things used to happen. I started praying to myself, like, come on, God, help me, God, please. You know, all the little stuff. Please, God, let her say yes so I can get some candy. Simple stuff like that. But as I got to high school, you know, it was focusing on my future. You know, I wanted to get out of Philadelphia. So, yeah, I started really just plan praying more and started sharing it with my friends. You know, even though we're in a tough environment, growing up in a tough environment, I always said, you know, I always ask God why. You know, God, make 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 my situation different. You know, change my course. Change me. Change me so I can change my family. And so I always pray. I pray. Yeah all the time now and i always thank my grandmother for instilling that in me when i was younger right yeah well, yep. well deepest condolences i know it's uh it was tough to lose her here recently so uh i, I really uh i wanted to hear more about her and uh mm -hmm. she seemed to be a real blessing for you so uh yes deepest sympathy there yes. um, so when uh when you got to ECU, uh, some of the things that that I remembered about you was, uh, and I just saw you as like a hardcore headbanger, man. I mean, you know, you were, you know, tough, physically tough, uh, pretty much, uh, you know, and I, and I mean this in a good way. You know, I played college ball too, but you were nasty and ruthless and, and physical and uh, very competitive. Uh, did not want to, to lose a you know a, a battle on any play, and uh, you know made a ton of plays. Uh, resilient, played with pain, uh, and of course your DNA made me look good because you squatted seven hundred pounds. So uh, you know uh, tremendous leg and hip strength, and that was a legit squat too, by the way. So uh, you know. <laughs> I, th I think it was more, Coach. I think it was more, but we'll, we'll go with seven. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> it was seven forty. I'm pretty sure. Okay, yeah, all right. You can't, you can't take my forty away now. <laughs> yeah, so I think since I left, they they took all the records down, but I, I don't really know. But anyway, uh, that's what I remember. Mm -hmm. But uh, but uh, you know, tremendous lower body strength, and that means a lot. You know, when you're playing down in the trenches. So, uh, what 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 are some of your best experiences at ECU that you can remember, and uh, you know, kind of talk maybe a little bit about your friends that you hung out with, and, and uh, you know, on or off the field, uh, uh, what were some of your better experiences there? Well, I I really appreciated uh, the Monroes. They let me stay there with them because uh, when I graduated high school, the first thing I told um Logan, I was like, I can't stay here too long. I was like, school is out. Everyone going to get in, going to get in some type of trouble. So he, um, the Kevin Monroe parents, they took me in. So um, I got there um, a week after I graduated high school. I just left and tell no one. I just left, and they took me in. And so uh, I appreciate them all the time. I still talk to them all the time. You know, I call them my my adoptive parents, because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have got to school early to start, you know, training. And uh, so me and Kev, you know, we used to talk all the time because he's from Greenville. So that was the first person that I was really attached to when it came to East Carolina. And but after that, man, you know, that first time I ran them uh, gases in the 400s, I was uh having second thoughts about being in Greenville. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm like, these 400s ain't no joke. Well, 300s, I meant no joke at all. And um, people just, you know, I seen, I seen it in other guys' eyes. You know, I wanted to quit, but I seen, seen that they wanted to quit. So I'm pushing them while at the same time trying to push myself. And so we hated those 300s, but it challenged us. It's challenged our heart. So the guys that uh went through it together, 
we all still talk about it to this day. And so doing that, you made us close as as a team because you know we think about it the day before. Everybody tried to go to bed early. Like, man, I'm going to bed early. I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to my room. I'm just staying in my room because we got these 300s. <laughs> so it used to be funny. But by the time we got to my junior year, we never cared about 300s. We was like, oh, well, it's just 300s. You know, so we was past yeah. that, that uh, going up that hill. We was on the other side of the hill. So we was like, that's fine. No problem. We laughing at the younger guys. And so, uh, but I mean, from... You know, Norris McClary, my roommate, Mundell Corbett, yeah. uh, Troy Smith, Big Buck Nasty, Buck Collins. Uh, yeah. It was just just a ton of guys that I built a relationship with. And, um, right. and um, like, I just was talking to um, um, Mark Lebiano, you know. Yeah. So he's one of the seniors that kind of took me under his wing. So, uh, like, a couple of seniors. So I still talk with them. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it was just a whole family environment. And so yeah. we could lean on each other. So it wasn't like a few guys. I mean, from Larry, Shannon, to, I mean, the receivers. To, so I um, I talked to everyone. Jamie Gray, all the old linemen. So the older guys helped me along when I first got there because I wanted to learn from them because they already had the experience. I wanted to pick their brain. And, and a lot of times I didn't say anything to them. I just sat back and watched them in the weight room, on the practice field, just out there conditioning. So I just watched from afar. I'm like, okay, this is what they've been doing. They've been doing all these years. So uh, like yeah. the sooner I get to their point, the, the better I'm going to be. So my freshman year, when I was talking to seniors, I was trying to be at, at that point, by my sophomore year. So right. it was like, it was a process. I was trying to be ahead of everything because if I'm ahead, I'm never behind. And so yeah. my, my mindset was always about hurry up, learn something, and I, that's gonna hurry up and make me better and make my job easier. And so so that's what I um, learned at East Carolina. You know, and, raid, and raiding your office with snacks, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we always needed some snacks. It's like, oh, yeah, just go office to office. <laughs> well, you know, I used to go to the bank uh, where Kevin Monroe's mother worked, and uh, she would be telling me about her son coming up. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, of course, a lot of a lot of people tell you about their kids, and you know, want them to go to ECU and so forth. And and she was an extremely, really, I mean, really nice lady. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I really didn't know, you know, how good he was. And then uh, when Kevin stepped on campus uh, one summer, you know, as an incoming freshman, you know, he made eight 300s the first day he was there. And he yeah. was the guy that got the seniors together. They came together and said, no, nah, we're not going to have this. We're going to move it up to 10 300s. <laughs> so, I was like, I don't know who can make that. He said, no, nah, we can't have a freshman come in here and make eight 300s. But it was Kevin that made those. Oh yeah, so Kevin uh, changed changed the number. Yep, yeah, but he can and, run. Uh, can do. <laughs> yeah, he had. Uh, yeah, his his uh, family were really good people, man. Mm -hmm. And yep. uh, and Kevin, of course, uh, is on the radio for all the pirate games now. Did Kevin end up being your financial advisor when you went to the NFL? No, when I went to the NFL, you know, they was coming out as well. So okay. all, they they didn't uh, know their course yet in life. I got you. Yeah, so we was all young, and um, they didn't know what they wanted to do in life. So, no, they wasn't my financial advisors, but I talked to them later in life um, about what they was doing. So, so yeah. yeah. Well, uh, let's talk a uh, about your professional career. Uh, you know, at, at ECU from 95 to 99, and uh, then fifth-round pick, and you initially went with the Raiders, correct? Correct. And you uh, – were you initially a linebacker and then <laughs> moved to D-line? Is that how that went? Well, my coach told me after, after they drafted me, it was like, 
he the only one wanted me in the building. I was like, all it takes is one. I was like, it don't matter. I just want, want one person to give me an opportunity. And so he was like, he couldn't draft me as a defensive end. So they had to draft me as a linebacker. But right. that's why I kind of, you know, I was a tweener, as they call it. They didn't know linebacker, defensive end, all that. And so I was drafted as a linebacker. Then uh, Al wanted to run basically a hybrid 3-4. And so back in 99, he was doing what basically what the Patriots started doing with their defense. That was our, our Davis vision back in 99 to do that. But I just didn't want to play linebacker because in college, you know, what I do, uh, I just drop to the flats. They said just drop to the flats, drop to the middle. That's it. Yeah. I didn't know number one, two, and three receiver. So, excuse me, first day in practice, I'm out there. They say, you got number two. I'm like, Num- who's number two? I'm like, what What I do? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Then they talking about you got hooked the curl and – I'm like, man, what is this? So my head was just spinning. I'm like, I know all this stuff is a foreign language. But um, one play, they said, okay, you got the back. That was Napoleon Kaufman, little fast guy from Washington. And yeah. uh, they said, you got the back, man to man. I covered him downfield. He ran for about 40 yards. I was step for step with him. And so the coach was impressed with that. So they, they kept trying to stick me at linebacker. But um, so – Probably later in that week, they was the lineman was doing one-on-one pass rushes. I was number four on the depth chart. So I'm like, I can count. You know, you don't go have three linebackers out there. <laughs> so I started running over to the uh, pass rush. And so I seen the cameras over there. I was like, okay, I'm going to make sure the camera's on me. So I'm going to get me a good pass rush. And I went, I don't know, re- remember who I went against. But I got on film. And the D-line coach was like, man, they was like, do that again. Did it again. And they they uh they moved me from linebacker to defensive end after that. Oh yeah, never played linebacker in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, I could see that very easily, you know, because I'm familiar with what you could do. Mm-hmm. And uh, Napoleon Kaufman was no joke. Yeah, yeah. I remember him vividly yeah. from our experience up in Washington yeah. <laughs> when we played them up there. Oh yeah, uh, he- when Larry Corey was on the staff. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was a tell back then. So, uh, yeah, yep. he, was, he was a very good player. <laughs> well, uh, so a little bit more about your career with the Raiders. Uh, who who was your coach there? Uh, who was your position coach? Uh, nope. how, how did you guys do during the time you were there? Well, uh, Mike Waffle, I mean, he's a great coach. I still talk to him to this day. He told me. He told me a lot about pass rush um, along with – but the thing about the culture out there in, with Oakland that I never experienced, it wasn't more so the coaches leading everything. It was the players, the veterans. Like Russell Maryland, that was my mentor. And yeah. his locker was next to mine's. I remember, you know, like I said, doing training camp, that was the hardest time. We, I came from East Carolina. We had three days. I'm like, man, that was hard. So they was like, in the pros, you only got two a days. So I'm like, okay, yeah. that's one less practice. But yeah. boy, that practice was hard. It was, they was harder. They was brutal. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't believe me when I tell them we had three days at ECU. Yeah, we we definitely had three days. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was real every day. <laughs> yeah, but but um, just being out there with them, Mike Waffle. He broke it down. So we watched film. Like I learned how to watch film, not watching one play. We watched, well, we watched one play, but we watched one play about six or seven times. And yeah. each time we noticed different things from each lineman. So we noticed different little movements. So we learned how to do what we call tails, where somebody's knee might move before the ball, somebody's hand might twitch before the ball, somebody's head or something might, might move. So we learned how to break everything down and pay attention to the smallest detail out there on the field. And that's what Mike Waffle taught me. Russell Maryland them taught me how when you're down in your stance, just look at the lineman eyes. Look what they're looking at. If they're looking straight at you, they're coming at you. If they look up, look down, they're trying to go and block someone else. So they taught me the things only a, a defensive lineman would know. And right. so just all the little keys, you know, like I say, Russell, Russell Maryland, 
doing um what's so uh Johnson uh no I can't remember his name first name Johnson he went to Temple he was from Philly so Lance Johnstone and so okay. because he was from Philly he went to Temple and he went to Germantown I went to Sam McGrath's and so so um kind of had a little bun right there and so whenever I got beat in practice. He was like, "Come on, Philly, you embarrass me." He was like, "You make you make a Philly look bad." So kind of pushed me yeah. like that. The reminder, like, man, don't forget where you came from. You gotta be tough. You gotta fight. You gotta, you know, bust your butt. And so that's how I first started Oakland. I was, I was a low man on the totem pole, but like how when I got to East Carolina, I was only about two fifteen, and uh, just working out with you, getting weight on, putting weight on, you know, just. Yeah. It's mad, and I used to talk to you all the time about why I'm not starting. So I didn't get it. I didn't understand because I was young. I'm like, okay, I'm faster than uh, the guy starting from me. I'm, I'm making more plays, but I didn't understand. I messed up plays. I was a liability because yeah. I was young and I'm just doing my own thing. And so right. that's why I was in the weight room because I was mad, pissed off. I was like, man, but. I was like, I'm going to get stronger, get bigger, get stronger, get bigger. And, you know, that's why I always try to stay close to you. And when I have free time, I just come in the weight room you yeah. know, because I want to do something. Just keep working and keep getting better because I always felt I could get better, get stronger. Uh, and then that would help me on the field. So when I went to Oakland, I did the same thing. Oh, my hair came on. Sorry about that. But um, when I went to Oakland, I wasn't playing. I didn't play to... Shoot, probably week uh, 11. So I'm out there practicing, just practicing. And my coach, he was challenging me. David, what's it? David Shaw. Uh, well, not, that's the that's the son. Willie Shaw, that was the ID coordinator. Okay. He said, if you mess up one play in practice, anytime during the week, you won't dress out. And so I'm young. That's in my head. And then all the time, I always mess up. Probably like on a uh, a Thursday. That's the last, that's the real last day of practice. You know, I'm like, man, come on. But but uh, <laughs> so I was just in the weight room, lifting weights, doing cleans, getting bigger, squatting, getting just kept getting getting bigger. And so yeah. by the time I did finally touch the field, I was probably about two eighty five. So yeah. Cause when I left, and I, saw you, I saw you get up to two ninety seven. Um, no, nah, I, I left Oakland. I was three ten. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah. So I just kept getting bigger, kept getting bigger and stronger. And just <laughs> you know, that's what they said. It was like, man, you just gotta gotta gain weight to keep a job. I'm like, yeah. I don't want to be big, but it helped out. So I, I I tell people my story all the time. I said I. Got East Carolina at 215, left at 255. Yeah. And I said, when I got to Oakland, I was 260. About, I mean, yeah, about 265. Then I got 285 and got up to 310. I'm like, yeah. that was my career. And so so that's how I was out in California. You know, that, that kind of taught me the business side of yeah. the game. It's not just a game, it's business. Because uh, Tim Brown had to calm me down my rookie year. I'm like, we lost the game, and um, the next day in the locker room, guys, and they're just joking around and just having fun. I'm like, what the hell everybody happy for? I'm like, no, nah, we lost. I'm like, no. And then Tim had to pull me to the side and say, this is a long season, man. It's like, can't get mad at every game because it's going to mess with you. And so right. Tim, he was very, Tim is very spiritual. And so I used to, I gravitated to him. Anytime I, you know, had a problem, you know, we sat, we talked, and we talked about life, talked about God, and things of that nature. So Tim Brown kind of helped me on the other side. Then Napoleon Kaufman, he changed, he became a minister. And so we just in the hot tub, just talked about, like, life. And so, yeah. so it was, that was my growing lesson out there in Oakland, about business, yeah. about family, and about just more spiritual. It's like you don't have to, you know, not speak on God, think you tough, you know. It's like a real man talk about God. A real man, you know, always going to bring God and give God thanks. And so being around those guys, I mean, every day I talk about God. God is my conversation throughout the day. So I learned that in Oakland.
outside of the football. And so you learned from a lot of the veterans there or a lot of the other teammates that you had. Yes, yes. I mean, yeah. Oakland, I was always bringing older veterans, uh, veterans that everybody said was long in the tooth over the hill. I would bring them in, give them a shot, just so because he knew they, they had something to prove, right? You know, to the rest of the league. And so they used to be there, tell me their stories, their wild stories, their journeys of how nobody gave them a shot, but yet they made it 15 years in the league. Or how some guys was first round drive pick, but it was cut two years later. And so they became journeymen. So I'm hearing both sides like, man, this high drive pick. You know, was just struggling to keep a job where whereas a free agent playing for fifteen years and everyone knew him. So it's yeah. and that's the nature of the business, how things work out. You know, but you but what I did learn if you stay dedicated, stay committed, and keep working hard and keep trying to knock down walls. You know, you told me that when you said don't run to the wall, run through the wall. And so yeah. that's always my yeah. mindset. I when I teach kids, I tell them that don't just run to the wall and stop. No, you run through it and push it. And yeah. So, so, yeah. I got with, you, uh, brother. Open hey, with oh, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, yep. Uh, so how, how did you get to the Falcons then? Uh, things changed a little bit and you decided to go ahead and, and make a change. And uh, and, and then you uh, got to the Falcons. Was that 2004? Was that your first season with the Falcons? Yes, yes, that was my first year. It was after we uh we got destroyed in the Super Bowl in in Oakland. You know, that was my first Super Bowl experience, and because we was making the playoffs in Oakland, we lost a couple of division championships to Denver and then to the Ravens. So we lost the championship a uh, couple of championship games, but we finally made it to the Super Bowl. And then after the Super Bowl, we got destroyed, and the whole like team from coaches to players. It just changed. It didn't feel the same. Then, you know, guys retired. A lot of veterans retired. So it was like on us. So I part of the whole veteran experience. So, but um, I just ready to go back to the East Coast. You know, yeah. hard for my grandparents to fly out, or when we had a game to travel. But I was saying, I wanted to be back on the East Coast. You know, I used to go to Atlanta, and I always went back home to Philly. But I said, I want. I never play in Philly because I'm from there and I know how crazy they fans are. So yeah. Philly was, I didn't want to be in Philly. I just want to be close to Philly. So yeah. it was between the Giants because my, my, my D-line coach, he left and he went to New York. So he was up there with those guys. And um, I went up there with them and Strahan was talking to me, trying to get me to come, come with the Giants. But I just like Atlanta, like the feel of Atlanta. You know, it's not the hustle. It wasn't a hustle and bustle like a major city, and so it was just more laid back. And the Giants, they already had you know winning season, Super Bowls. I wanted to start something different, and so we yeah. had a young team in Atlanta, new coaches, Jim Moore. Um, we just, I just felt like it would have been a, it was the perfect place for me, and so I chose them. Over the Giants. Giants had me locked in the room. Like, no, nah, you can't leave. We got to work this out. I was like, no. Nah, yeah. yeah, they had me locked in there. They didn't want me to leave. And, you know, so, but they went on to win, what, two Super Bowls without me. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, so, being, but, being wanted is a good problem to have. Yeah. But I'm um, going to Atlanta, you know, meeting the owner, sitting down there at dinner with him. And what, what attracted me, he, he went in his, his suit pocket, pulled out a flight schedule. He was like, These, this how many planes go to Atlanta a day? He was like, so you can all, I mean, Philadelphia. He was like, so you can always get from Philadelphia and Atlanta and back and forth whenever you want to leave. So for him to pull out a flight schedule, I was yeah. very impressed. <laughs> and so going down there, so I chose to go down there and, you know, rest is history. Well, you know, during the time that you were with the Falcons, uh, you know, of course, I I went back and read up on you again, you know, as far as what people would say about you. And, you know, they, I mean, there were, there were a lot of people that thought that you were one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL at that time, you know, and uh, you really had developed and, and uh, you really were, you know, kind of 
making a big name for yourself during that time. Uh, how about that first year? I mean, did you uh, – I read somewhere where you had 49 games, 49 starts. Uh, was that for three seasons or uh, – because you got hurt at some point. Yes, yes. So, um, yes. Before I went to Atlanta, like the major markers was on the East Coast for its television. So people on the West Coast, it was hard to really get attention. So when I yeah. came to the East Coast, you know, I was just doing the same thing that I was doing in Oakland. And it was just, I was playing, I was just playing hard, you know, doing the stuff that I knew what to do. And Bill Johnson, he was my D-line coach. So I incorporated my pass rushing skills with learning how to uh, play the run better. And so he yeah. taught me how to key in, how to use leverage against the run. And so I learned the best of both worlds, how to be a great pass rusher and how to be a good run stopper. Right. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, um, I was out there rocking and rolling for a while. And – it just happened. My teammates, they started getting hurt. So I'm, I'm like, man, I'm the last one standing. I'm out here with a bunch of young guys, second year guys, trying to teach them on the field. So, you know, they just started wearing me down. So it just started taking a toll on me on the field. And then uh, off the field, I was just having a little too much fun and, you know, just hanging out too much. So my body wasn't able to handle the nightlife and work. So things started breaking, my toes, my, my knees started getting messed up. So, you know, breaking fingers and things of that nature. So I started missing games like uh, halfway in. And then uh, just a lot of a lot of stuff was going on back home. You know, my grandfather passed away at the yeah. second year, third year in that 2005, six, somewhere around that, probably six. And so I was dealing with that. And just holding it in and then let it out. And I just, honestly, I just was, wow. I just, yeah. I just lost because I was going through it and it felt like I didn't have anyone to talk to because I'm a veteran. Everyone looking at me like I should have all the answers. And so it was just a bad probably year, you know, yeah. where I'm like, man, y'all don't care about me. Y'all just care. I play, I'm playing football. So, you know, I'm going to do what I need to do for y'all and I'm going to just, you know, live my life. But, um, well, you got selected for the Pro Bowl in uh, 2005, right? Yep. And it should have been there a few, few more times because it was, it was uh, about, I think I had double digit sacks three times in Atlanta. Yeah. yeah you had a, you had a total of 59 sacks, right? Yeah. It should have been 60. You know, I got <laughs> robbed just like, you know, Every, every D lineman always say we got robbed. So, yeah, it should have been more. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, yep, had, had that. Yeah, I, I looked at some of your career stats, you know, like 270-some uh, tackles, uh, like 11 forced fumbles. Uh, and, and then when you guys played, uh, I guess when you played the, the first year you were with Atlanta, you played the Raiders. <laughs> And uh, you picked off a pass and ran like 39 yards for a touchdown, right? Yeah, and I was tied the rest of the game. <laughs> and the game just started. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, if I would have practiced more on catching, I would have had a ton of interceptions. I dropped about six interceptions. I got tackled at the goal line probably about three times. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> yep, did, yep. did they have you uh, – Lined up at nose guard some? Yeah, so what happened when I was in Oakland, you know, I was playing in, playing in, and then um, John Gruden was like, man, you got some big legs. He was like, you're strong. And then the old lineman was like, man, we had to play John Randall from Minnesota um, my rookie year. And then it was like, man, you quick, you fast, so you work out in interior guys. So I'm in yeah. there working them. I'm like, man, I'm beating these guys. I'm like the quarterback right here. If I just be one guy, I'm, he here. You know, it takes five steps to get to the quarterback from the inside. Take nine steps to get to the quarterback from the outside. 
So I'm like, okay, that's what you have to do. Yeah, that's four last steps. So, so I was like, okay. <laughs> so I got in Makes there sense. and started liking it, huh? Makes sense. Yeah, and so, yeah. so they just started putting me in there, and that's why they told me keep gaining weight, keep gaining weight. So I'm like, it just it football became easier and fun when I went inside because you know I could use different moves. I was like more of a counter puncher. You know, being from wow. Philly, that's what most people are, counter punches. So I let a guy hit me, and I'm going to sweep his hand off, or I'm going to run upfield. This guy going to try to push me upfield. I'm going to spin back under or stop and come come under. So I was just out there having fun. A lot of guys will tell you, I'm out there trying to get to the quarterback. I'm laughing at him when I beat him. I'm out there laughing and smiling. And the team photographers used to take pictures and see me grinning. I was like, because it's just so easy and it's fun. So – so yeah, been playing inside. It was just came easy. Now that nose is different. Playing nose, you know, you're getting double. You're getting scooped up. Yeah. By that, so that's why I had to get up to 300 pounds. Right. Yeah. So and yeah. reason why I was playing more inside because, like I said, the rest of my teammates was hurt. So I was the only one really consistent. But then when I started getting hurt, you know, things just went south. But uh, yeah, man, I just. I just enjoy playing more inside than outside, you know. But uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun. Yep. Right. Well, what, what, give me your opinion of uh, uh, the the NIL now, and uh, you know the portal. <laughs> what What are your feelings about that? Well, uh, I'm I'm a fan of kids getting paid or the opportunity to, to get paid. You yeah. know, so I mean, the college is a billion dollar industry, about 30, 40 billion dollar industry. So yeah. when I was in college, we couldn't, we couldn't, you know, take a hamburger from you guys. You know, we couldn't get nothing. Yeah. And if we hungry, we had to just find somebody's house to go eat, you know, even in the cafeteria, we couldn't go back for seconds. So yeah. we started eating like regular students, but we expected to put weight on. So, it was kind of rough for uh, players back then because it was like Philly, survival. And that's what we did. We survived. It got to a point we just laughed about it and just was like, we're going to figure this out. And um, so now it's different. And I'm glad that it's changing. Uh, the NIL, name, image, and likeness, I think it's good for college football. I mean, if you're going to have a corporation to pay these guys, then so be it. You know, but the guys, the players have to, you know, hold up today into the bargain. And I don't know how it worked if a guy transfer something of that nature, but it's good for football, well, college players, because now they know when they go to college, they getting some besides a scholarship. They getting, they getting cash in their pocket to go get something to eat. And that's the main thing most kids want. But go to eat, go to the movies, just go, go be a teenager. You know, just yeah. go be a kid. And so it's good at that. But at the same time, you know, it's like the pros. Some guys going to get offered a million dollars. Some guys get offered half a million dollars. So it's never right. balanced. But it's like your skill set. I mean, you get paid for it, your skill set. So it it can help guys push themselves to be better so they could get more NIL money. Then, you know, other players that might feel like they deserve more well they got to go prove themselves so so it's like it's a double-edged sword but i think yeah. it will work itself out it will, it will work itself out for the transfer portal oh man i was in college coaching and uh that, that is mind-blowing because you know how back in the day when we get yelled at things of that nature okay we don't pay no mind that's motivation to us but these kids now you know, you can't yell at them. You can't try to push them to motivate them, you know, because they're going to get their feelings get hurt. Then they're going to they take it personal. And yeah. So transferring now with this portal is uh, these coaches, they have a hard job. You know, the landscape oh. of college coaching change. I mean, you got to have to be friends with the players. You have to just make them happy because they're, they're quick to transfer. You know, right. it's. 
it's, it's if they wake up one day mad at their just a teammate or their girlfriend in town, they want to leave just to get away instead of you know stay there, stick it out, and figure out the problem and and get better. So so that portal is it, it, it's it's a different world with the transfer portal and. That's why I said I can't do this. I can't do this because it's too hard. You know, yeah. you want to show up. You want the kids to show up ready to go, not me trying to bargain with you or beg you to practice when you chose to come here on a scholarship. You know, that's your job. But it's hard for these coaches, and I applaud them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So well, the last change man it's changed yeah i mean you know i i'd lose my mind if somebody was 30 seconds late you know of course they had a lot of work to do if they was 30 seconds late and uh yeah. they would be confronted yep. and uh i never deviated from that and then of course winter conditioning you know we did we did 100 up downs on that gym floor you know four sets of 25 and they had to be perfect at the end of the at the end of the session so you know there wasn't many people doing up downs on the gym floor back then either, I guess, but nope. That, that was just part of our deal. But you know, the players hung their hat on that stuff, you know. I mean, yeah, I, we survive yeah. you, we can survive anything. That's <laughs> well, a lot different now, no question about it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about the NFL in relationship to uh kind of the things you saw there with regard to uh you know, what What helps somebody sustain themselves through a career there? And then, uh, you know, what What have you seen that, that kills an NFL career? You know, like, uh, mm -hmm. have you seen much of that in relationship to uh, your experiences with regard to maybe uh, drugs or divorce or, you know, all the different things that you encounter, I guess, maybe when some people encounter when they get a lot of money, but I also, you know, it's also intriguing to me to see these player development guys now with every team and what, you know, what their mission is, I guess, is to keep people on board. So uh, what, what's your experience there? What are your feelings there? Well, you know, me coming from Oakland, I mean, I see it all in Oakland, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I used to talk to Willie Brown. He was like, yeah, back in my day. Him and Freddie Belinica, he was like, yeah, we used to smoke cigarettes in the tunnel at halftime or some guys go do some cocaine. I'm like, what? I'm like, what in the world? I'm like, this football? He was like, yeah, that, but that was back in the 60s. I was like, oh, okay. Like, that was just mind-blowing. You could do all this stuff. And um, yeah, when I played, I never did any marijuana and all that. I I might drink, but I never did all that because I'm, I'm thinking about my lungs and thinking about my career. And so... Yeah, we had players. They did all that back in the day, and their careers were short when their careers could have been longer. And then probably ego. Ego, having a large ego will be your downfall because you have an ego, then you, you're you going to feel like you know more than a coach that, that come up with the game plan. And so yeah. some guys, I've seen first, second-round draft pick receivers that bump head they second week there with the coach just because they feel like they know more than the coach. And yeah. so those guys don't last long, you know, come in with an ego and don't study. Now I tell college kids, I'm like, you need to study in college. That's, that's how you form a good habit because our playbooks are huge and each week they change. And so you're expected to know everything in that playbook by Friday. So yeah. you, get, you have Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And a lot of guys get the playbook, toss it to the side. But we're going through practice. They're messing up on the same plays because they, they didn't study. Me, I'm studying. I'm going home. I'm, I'm drawing up the plays again. I'm watching film. I'm constantly studying. I'm like, this is my job. So I always right. And so lack of studying and lack of, lack of being humble and appreciating the opportunity because it's – millions of people that want our job but you know they wasn't committed and sacrificed the other stuff to um, to be in that position and so guys didn't appreciate and then respect 
the opportunity that they had. And so some guys, they let they short or or their career, their career is short or they're on that team for one or two years. And some guys that get released, it's better for them because that is their humbling moment. So yeah. like they like they always say, pride goes before the fall. That's what the yeah. Bible says. And so a lot of guys have, have to be humbled. They have to be broken down. Like how you used to do to us, break us down to build us up. And so some yeah. guys, when they get cut, get released, they go home and self-reflect and they become humble. And if they get that second opportunity, they're not going to, you know, frown on it. They're going to cherish it and appreciate it and do everything the coach tell them because they know what they lost and they know this the only way to get it back is to do it the coach's way. And right. so, yeah, coach, I've I seen it all, man. I've seen guys choke the coach out on the sideline, you know, doing a game. So, I seen uh, you know, <laughs> seen coaches kick guys off the field during the game, send them to the locker room during the game. I'm like, wow, you know, this was like my first year, so <laughs> this was all my rookie year. Wow. So, so yeah, so we, I mean, in the Oakland, Al Davis had a motto. He was saying, if you late to practice or if you miss practice, I don't care. You still playing? I'm gonna find you, but you are gonna play. So we used to have guys like Andre Rise used to pull up an hour late for practice and limo, limo driver blowing the horn and those stuff like that. Wow. <laughs> guys that miss practice saying, you know, my, I had a flat. This guy, he's making 15 million a year. He got, We used to go to his house. He had like five cars, but he said he had a flat so he couldn't get to practice. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I see it all, man. You know, guys used to come in. Before practice, getting out of me because they was up all night partying, you know. And you see guys that uh that's going through relationship issues with their wives and things of that nature. Yeah. And so that was my biggest fear of saying, "Oh, I don't want to be married while I'm playing football because that distraction." And so, right. so I did the dumb thing and wound up getting married while I was playing football. <laughs> but well, you know, so it went that same route that most of the other guys went because. You have to be dedicated to to your job, and so, yeah. so um, you know, most of the wives they want you to retire early and that nature, but you enjoying your job, you having fun. You're like, no. Yeah. So I understand what Tom Brady going through, because I, yeah. I and a lot of other players, I seen guys that that would lose their mind temporarily because of divorce. You know, they've yeah. been married five six years, and you know, the wife want more time. But she take the kids, she leaves, and the guy here just he just go off and wild out for a while, you know. Yeah. But we we always be we'll be close to them, so we'll try to stay close to them. Go over their house, you know, be around them, just yeah. keep them distracted, keep helping them uh know that they're loved. And so yeah, but yeah coach out there in Oakland, we we seen it all. Yeah, I mean we had the only coach that ever had a DUI. John Gruden, well, the first coach to have a DUI. So that's what the Raiders were. <laughs> so, yeah, but but on game day, we all come together. And that was the thing that I learned out there. No matter what you do yeah. on the week, you burn a candle at both ends. But Sunday, you know, we we only have one goal. That's the play as a team. You might not like me in the locker room during the week, but on Sunday, we best friends because we both hate that other team. Yeah. And so. That's what I learned over the years. And it, football was, we call Sunday our day off because gotcha. we all go play. So that was our off day, Sunday. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah. I got a couple more minutes. So uh, just uh, tell me a little bit about what you do now and, uh, you know, kind of like what your week's like. Uh, what's, and, you know, maybe a little bit about your family members and so forth. Uh, like I'm like you, I travel a little more, you know, yeah. move around, go, I go see more family, but, um, I'm out, uh, out in Vegas now, been out here for several years when I left Atlanta and, okay. uh, I'm just settled, engaged, uh, got my stepson, uh, I'm retired, I breed dogs, African masters. So okay. that, was, that was one of my businesses. I, um, Back in 2007, I built my preschool in Atlanta when I was still in Atlanta. So 
um, I was running that when I when I retired. I was running my preschool, so had that since 2011. Lots of kids been through there. Uh, I hold uh, 190 kids. So wow, yeah. So that was my retirement to be be in the okay. classroom with toddlers on the floor playing with little little babies that don't care about what you did and all that. They just want to climb on you and have fun. Yeah. So that that helped me transition. Like after I retired, that helped me because I'm around children. You know, that's my degree, early childhood education. So I enjoyed being around the kids. When I had bad day or nothing to do because I was missing the routine of football, I just go there with the kids and play with them. They 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 helped find me a new routine of surviving them, playing with them, feeding them, you know, putting shoes on, you know, put a shoe shoe on a kid, they kick it right off. You know, it became their game. So I'm like, oh, man. So I learned the ins and outs of everything for business-wise because of that. I used to be in the kitchen right. cooking. You know, I was the janitor, the chef, the front desk, the secretary, the, you know, bus runs, uh, just everything. Yeah. So so I did it all. So I used to be there from, we opened at 6 o'clock in the morning. I got there at like 5.30 and left probably like 8 o'clock at night. And I yeah. did this for almost a whole year straight. So that was my life. And then when I moved to Vegas, my mother took over the school. So she runs my school. And um, okay. But I'm um, Vegas. I'm just being retired, man, and just trying to enjoy every day, you know, because when I was playing, I couldn't enjoy just the simplest things because I knew I only had two months of all season. So I had to do everything yeah. in two months. Now I can plan ahead and stretch things up. But, you know, for us now, it's about mornings, feed the dogs, get the dogs together, uh, get the little one off the school, spend time with the dog, go pick him up, take him yeah. to the sports or practice or something of that nature, and just, just hanging with the family now. And that's it. So just enjoying retirement life like you. you know? Gotcha. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, not real estate, so I – when I when I first got in, I used to be one of the youngest people sitting in the meetings about, you know, the the meetings about retirement and all that. They, yeah. The older guys used to be like, "Why you in here?" I'm like, "I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to be ahead. I'm trying to learn everything y'all y'all know." And so to this day, a lot of guys keep asking me, uh, "What's going on with the players' association, the new rules, and, and all the stuff?" So I stand for them. To this day, so I try to keep keep everyone informed about changes and things of that nature. So yeah, so yeah, man, I just still reading. I love still reading, gain knowledge. But now I'm just enjoying life. I mean, I don't need, I don't need much. I mean, anything. I don't need anything but God. That's it. You know, everything else will fall in place. And so, so yeah, I'm just just enjoying life now. Like. Go to bed with a smile, wake up with a smile. You know, I, I just yeah. enjoy my peace and my joy. And, you know, I pray every day, thank God every day. And, you know, it's been working, so I, I don't want to change anything. I'm out here in Vegas, so Sin City, and I'm at peace. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm in one of the craziest places, and yeah. but I've just been a family man. Gotcha. So, so yeah, so no well, demons. Yep. Yeah, I, uh, I I need to wrap it up, but I, I you know I just want to tell you you know how much I appreciate you coming on, and uh, it's been a while since we've sp spoken, and you know one of the things that I really want to do is honor and recognize the guys that I coached, and that's very important to me, and definitely one of the reasons that I wanted to do this podcast, and I got uh, you know I got a few more guys lined up here in the near future too. Okay. But, there are so many, so many people that came through the program there and, you know, and also, uh, you know, through, through my other experiences to, you know, at other schools, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I just really want to recognize everybody that I can. I want to honor you for what you've done. And I don't think a lot of people understand what it took for you to accomplish what you have accomplished. And, uh, you know, anytime your name's mentioned, I don't hear anything but positive things. And uh, I really feel like uh, 
that that ECU should maybe maybe uh, maybe just provide a little bit more recognition for all the guys that made it to the NFL, not only during our era, but also you know uh, Skip Holtz and and uh, you know everyone else's as as well. So, but uh, want to thank you for being on, and uh, hopefully I can talk to you again soon, and uh, maybe see you here at one of the games. Okay, coach. Yeah, and I I thank you for everything you did for me because. Like I said, when I got to Oakland, I told uh, Gimon Astron coach, I was like, man, I had one of the hardest strength coaches in college, so I don't think you could push me like you pushed him. I mean, like he pushed me. So I appreciate everything that you did for me to help me get to that point in life. So no problem. And I appreciate everything. appreciate you having me on. All right, well, I'm going to sign off now. Uh, this is Jeff Connors with Absolute Empowerment. God bless and hope to see you next week. Thanks a lot. Take care. You've been listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on the Sports Objective. Join us every Monday night for a new edition of the show. Listen to the show pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. Be sure to follow us on social media at the Sports OBJ on Twitter and TikTok, at the Sports Objective on Instagram. Like and follow our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. As always, we appreciate you listening to the show, and go Pirates!